1: According to the Cancer Council, it is responsible for almost one in five people dying of cancer in Australia. Very sadly, there is often a stigma associated with lung cancer, and people often think that only smokers can suffer this disease, and that they often bring it upon themselves. Well, one of the key lessons I learnt from this interview is that many people that are diagnosed with lung cancer have never touched a cigarette in their life. To better understand lung cancer I speak with Dr Tim Clay who is a consultant medical oncologist specialising in lung and breast cancer at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco. What is lung cancer and are there different types of lung cancer?
0: So cancer is a condition in our body where there there are cells which are meant to grow normally that are growing abnormally and then reach a point where they're out of control. And if left for long enough, uh, uh, they can spread to other parts of the body. And lung cancer is an umbrella term for any type of cancer arising in the lungs. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple different types. And understanding what type of cancer you're treating, whether that's a non-small cell lung cancer, a small cell lung cancer, mesothelioma... Uh, or a, a central mediastinal cancer uh, is very important because it guides what the what the treatments are that are associated with the best outcomes for that condition.
1: Okay, and. With the rates of smoking in decline, is that correct in Australia?
0: Yeah, so, so there have been a number of things that have been done as public health initiatives that have helped uh, decrease the rates of tobacco consumption. And we know that tobacco consumption is the largest risk factor for carcinoma of the lung. And people don't realise that tobacco consumption can lead to a number of other cancers, including things like bladder cancer and head and neck cancer and esophageal cancer. Mm-hmm. So tobacco control is extremely important, not just for lung cancer, but for other... Uh, cancers as well. Mm. What we see is as tobacco consumption decreases uh, following some years after that the rates of lung cancer start to plateau and start to fall. So within Australian men we're seeing a decline in lung cancer that mirrors the decline in smoking. Australian women the rates of lung cancer have plateaued and we're expecting to see them start to fall as the tobacco consumption rates in women also fall.
1: Well that's good news. What about young people? Uh How's their tobacco consumption and young people getting lung cancer?
0: Look, I think. The, the rates of tobacco consumption in young people are falling as well and a lot of that to do is with the same control measures that have been put in place for older adults. So mm. everyone is aware of the very graphic uh, packaging labels around uh, tobacco and that's really to warn people of what the consequences are of prolonged use. Uh, the other things that uh, are happening are things around taxation mm. and although people don't like paying tax, the idea of increasing the price is to send a single um, that, that this is something that you don't want to do. Mm. Uh, 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 plain packaging has been very important uh, role in Australia. Australia took the lead in that as well and has come under threat from the tobacco industry. Mm. We've been, or our government's been, very successful at rebuffing that uh, and it's been a model that many other countries have followed. In terms of young people, it remains very important to try and stop them from taking up uh, tobacco products or vaping in the first place. We know that nicotine is an addictive substance and and smoking or vaping is a way of getting very high levels of that substance into the blood quickly. Mm. And people who are susceptible to developing addictions to substances, when they they get that nicotine, they get a, a reward pathway that sets up that the brain tells them that this is something pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And it can be very hard to break that cycle as anyone who's been a long term smoker knows quitting is not an easy thing uh, to do. So it's really important that that we do try and keep uh, particularly young people away from tobacco and vaping. So from the point of view of tobacco cessation, we know that when someone stops smoking, the uh, the risk of developing a lung cancer starts to fall and the risk of a number of other conditions. It's It takes time for the risk to fall and unfortunately the risk never really completely goes away. So we can see some people that have been heavy smokers that have given, given up in their 40s still developing tobacco-related lung cancers 30 and 40 years down the track. Yeah. Uh, there's no harm that comes from smoking cessation. Uh, for almost every medical condition. Uh, so it's very important that if you're actively smoking um, that you talk to your your GP or the practice nurse about um, ways that you can quit. And the quit line is also an excellent resource for getting counselling. And we know that people who engage with smoking cessation strategies, whether that's counselling or nicotine replacement or hypnotism or acupuncture, all of those things are really uh, important ways that you can improve your chances of staying Mm -hmm. Uh, off tobacco, Uh, however you do it, it's a fantastic achievement.
1: That's a good message in itself that I love the fact that it doesn't matter what works for you, it could be the patch, it could be some hypnotherapy, but the fact that you're giving different strategies a go and you find something that works for you, then that's a great thing.
0: Look, it's always good to have choice.
1: Yes. And so what are, other than smoking, causes lung cancer?
0: Um, so we know that asbestos exposure contributes to lung cancer risk as well. Uh, exposure to things like radon gas, which is mostly an industrial exposure. So I think people who are working in industries where there are uh, toxic gases or, or exposure to substances should really talk to their employer about what personal protective equipment uh, they're using. Mm. I think one of the things that we'll come on to is really there's a big population of people where we don't understand why they're getting lung cancer. Uh, a, a, a set of people called lung cancer and never smokers and that's a really difficult when you meet someone that's in that situation mm. because um, you don't have a good explanation as to why that person has developed cancer. Uh, and you still feel for them and Mm. and treat them, but that that, uh, disease is a little bit different.
1: Of course, and a lot of empathy for everyone that gets lung cancer, as you say. When should someone really seek some guidance from a GP? Are there sort of warning signs that maybe they should be alerted and think, this is not right, I should go and see my GP about these signs and symptoms.
0: So look, it can be very difficult to detect cancer early um, and we know that uh, finding a lung cancer early changes the stage of the cancer. So, staging is how our doctors describe how far the cancer has spread. And cancers are staged from stage one, where the disease is isolated to the lung, all the way through to stage four. So, the earlier that the cancer can be picked up, the better the chances are of uh, treatment with curative intent and long term survival. And the classical warning signs that we're looking for are things like coughing up blood difficulty breathing, uh, a cough that won't settle or go away. And sometimes it can be really non-specific, like going off your food or starting to lose weight. Really, if you're developing a physical symptom that doesn't have an explanation, regardless of what it is, it's a good idea to see your GP for, for lung cancer or for any other cause. There is a group of people as well where we're detecting lung cancers before they come, become symptomatic. So there are efforts on going around the world and um, particularly in Queensland, Western Australia and New South Wales looking at lung cancer screening. So many people know about breast cancer screening with mammography and bowel cancer screening. At the moment lung cancer screening is targeted at people who've had a significant smoking history. Uh, And screening for lung cancer finds it at an earlier stage and we know that it improves survival. Sometimes lung cancer is detected when your, your your doctor sends you for a scan for another reason and we're seeing an increasing number of people, for example, who are having scans to look at their heart and whether or not they're at risk of heart attack and having lung cancer detected by chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it's really important uh, that if you do have imaging that people look at the lungs as well and uh, uh, even though it's not a dedicated scan for the lungs.
1: And what sort of tests, common tests that um, a patient might be sent for.
0: So normally, the 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 tests that uh, that we're doing have two main purposes. The first test is to work out is this cancer or is it something else. And whenever whenever a doctor does a scan, they can give you an idea of what they think the problem is. Um, but you never actually have a cancer diagnosis until someone has acquired a sample, a, a tissue sample to look at under the microscope. So the first set of testing that you would have is some form of imaging. to to pick up where the abnormalities are. And then there are a few different ways that we can obtain tissue to make a diagnosis. Sometimes people will have a needle biopsy at the imaging practice that they go to. And that may be of the lungs or of another part of the body if there's concern. The other common way that we make a diagnosis of lung cancer from pathology is a procedure called a bronchoscopy. And that's done by a lung specialist. It's done under sedation and a camera is part into the lungs uh, and various uh, various techniques are used to reach the area of interest and to take a tissue sample. Once a cancer diagnosis is confirmed, the next next important step is to stage the cancer accurately and that's working out where you fit on the spectrum of stage 1 to stage Mm 4 and that helps guide what treatments might be appropriate for you. Staging is usually accomplished by a CT scan of your body. Often patients may also be sent for a PET scan, and a PET scan's a nuclear medicine test that looks at showing up areas which we might not necessarily be able to see on a CAT scan. And sometimes we also do imaging of the brain either with a CT or an MRI. So there's a lot involved. Yeah. So, again, deciding on the right treatment decides on the stage. You may also, if, for example, surgery or radiation is um, considered, need things like lung function tests or exercise tests to assess uh, fitness. But really at the diagnostic stage, um, the, the important uh, things are to work out, what type of cancer is there? So, well, firstly, even is it cancer or is it infection? what type of cancer, and then what the treatment approach may be.
1: And, and what then, so you've perhaps reached a diagnosis, what are some of the treatment options now available to people?
0: So I think the treatment option's really expanding. Um, When we decide on what treatment to use, uh, ideally cases should be discussed in what we call a multidisciplinary team meeting, Mm -hmm. and that is where the clinicians that treat cancer come together. So in the case of lung cancer, that's going to be a combination of respiratory doctors, uh, surgeons, imaging specialists, pathology specialists medical oncologists uh, and palliative care physicians as well. And the the cases get discussed as a whole so that everything can be reviewed uh, and that we can set the right treatment course. The main sorts of treatments that we use for lung cancer are surgery, and I'm not a surgeon, so I won't discuss that in great detail. Yes, of course. Radiotherapy. So radiotherapy is where we uh, apply radiation from outside the body heading in, Mm -hmm. and radiation can either be given as short courses of treatment, it can be given as high-dose radiation, so stereotactic radiotherapy or cyberknife radiotherapy, or it can be given as longer courses of radiation over four to five weeks and again a radiation oncologist is best placed to work out if radiation is the right kind of treatment for the cancer and to work out what schedule of radiation to give Mm -hmm. medical oncologists also enter into this so a medical oncologist is a specialist who uses medications to treat cancer Mm -hmm. and there's a wide variety of medications that we use for lung cancer now Chemotherapy is always present, um, and chemotherapy, although the drugs haven't changed much, the way that we support people through treatment and manage problems like nausea and diarrhea and constipation has really improved. And it's very exciting to be in the, the thoracic oncology or the lung cancer space with targeted therapies and with immunotherapy being uh, widely available for most patients now.
1: What other myths out there about lung cancer that it'd be nice to talk about and demyth? <laughs>
0: I think understanding, or I think the biggest thing is the stigma around lung cancer. So patients or people are often very ashamed that they've been diagnosed with lung cancer, and I think it's uh, you know really um, sad to see that. No one deserves cancer, even people who've smoked cigarettes, you can't really look at them and say, well, look, they've brought them this on themselves. We know that tobacco is a risk factor. I say to my older patients who grew up in an era when, in an era where smoking was commonplace that, look, it was promoted, everyone did it mm. and it was easy and it was cheap. Um, so I think the most important thing around lung cancer is trying to remove the stigma that patients face when they say, well, look, this is the diagnosis that I have. I think the other sort of big myths around lung cancer is that it's always a, a, a fatal illness. So, or, you know, it, that that it, that it's it's hard to treat. Uh, So the face of who is a lung cancer patient is changing. We're getting more people who are getting diagnosed at early stage and having surgery or radiation with curative intent. We're getting more people that have never touched cigarettes. So um, a large part of my practice is people who've been never smokers, who've been diagnosed uh, with lung cancer.
1: Mm. And is it preventable then?
0: I think that the best the best prevention is not to pick up not to pick up tobacco and um, mm. and that's sort of fairly straightforward not to get aspo- exposed to asbestos, those would be the biggest things that I would tell people yeah. to avoid.
1: And I suppose if you are in an occupation where you might be exposed to some, I think you were mentioning earlier, um, just go and see whether there's some masks or protective wear. Yeah,
0: if you're in an industry where you're getting exposed to, to dust or or chemicals, the, the industry should have a plan for how to manage personal protection of, of uh, employees and workers in that situation.
1: What about vaping? What's your thoughts on that? Because some people might think, well, I vape, it's it's not causing me any harm.
0: Look, I think is a really difficult space um, mm. and I think if you look, Back histori- to use a historical example from tobacco, before 1900, carcinoma of the lung was a rare condition, and it was it was never seen. And you see a very steep uptick in the rates of cancer of the lung as tobacco is taken up in the early 19th century, and a drop off as it as it fades away. Vaping and e-cigarettes have been promoted as a safer alternative to tobacco smoking. Um, and there are a number of wa- different ways that this is done. But one of the ideas behind it is to heat the nicotine without some of the other harmful things that are found in tobacco products. And so while they may have been demonstrated in some respects to be a safer alternative to tobacco consumption, that doesn't mean they're completely safe. We're seeing um reports coming particularly out of the the United States of people and particularly young people in their 20s dying of um Uh, rapidly uh, progressive and fatal lung diseases from even short periods of vaping Um, and I think it will be a terrible situation in 10 or 20 years time if we look back and say well look we had an example from history of tobacco and we didn't um, we didn't heed that and we uh, you know we allowed vaping to flourish and and we're now reaping what we've sown Um, the tobacco industry is using uh, the same tactics in promoting vaping that they did with tobacco back in the day, and they're getting around uh, advertising loopholes in other countries where the advertising's not as safe, so using bright imaging uh, and young, happy people having fun. Mm. uh, And they're using the same psychological tricks and manipulation with advertising vaping and e-cigarettes that they did with tobacco. Um, so I think, as you know, as a society, we need to be very wary uh, of this. Uh, the tobacco industry is a profit-driven industry. Um, they've demonstrated very clearly in the tobacco space that, that they, they're they not so bothered about harm to people and I think we should be very sceptical about uh, vaping and e-cigarettes.
1: And I think one of the lessons you taught me um, before we started was that the flavouring, the very thing that you think is the safest part of the e-cigarette, is is causing
0: damage. Yeah, so the flavourings in some cases have contributed to some of the lung problems that was, uh, are being seen around the world.
1: What are some key messages for those people that could be listening to this
0: podcast? I I think the key messages that I would say is that for almost everyone with lung cancer, you can be hopeful that your treating team can find an effective treatment for you. There's very few people that are so unwell that they can't have treatment. I think finding someone who has got an interest or is an expert in this space is very important uh, because the... The nature and range of treatments for thoracic cancers is very broad now and a lot of the time um, it would be terrible to miss out on a treatment because someone didn't look and and see if it was an option for Mm. you. I think the number of clinical trials in this space is also increasing as well. So trying uh, or asking your specialist whether there is a clinical trial option for you and your type of lung cancer is very important as well.
1: Mm. And it, you were mentioning, uh, what's some research that you're aware of that would be worth sharing with
0: everyone? So look, St John of God, um, uh, uh, Oncology and Cancer Medicine has got a very large research portfolio uh, and I had the, the thoracic uh, oncology section of that and at the moment we're researching the use of immunotherapy in two different settings so immunotherapy is a new type of treatment that really took off in melanoma first and has very broad application over many tumor types although not all Immunotherapy um, tries to turn off a switch in the body that cancer deactivates and when we use immunotherapy we're not trying to treat the cancer, we're trying to retrain the immune system to try and attack the cancer for the patient. Uh, So the study that we're involved with takes a drug called pembrolizumab, which is a drug that is available in Australia, is very effective and adds a second immunotherapy agent to it to see if we can enhance the effectiveness of pembrolizumab without increasing... Uh, the side effects to patients. Mm. The other major study that we've been involved in recently is a study that looks at using an immunotherapy drug called devalumab and giving it after someone has had successful surgery and chemotherapy to see if we can improve the rates of cure uh, in patients who've undergone surgery and chemotherapy. Uh, we're always very active in trying to find new research studies to bring to our patients uh, at this centre, and we think it's a real point of advantage of the St John of God Oncology Unit, just how active we are in the in the drugs and therapeutic space. We're also very lucky, uh, both in respiratory medicine and thoracic oncology, to be supported by um, some generous grants from uh, Jack Bendat and the Bendat family. I mean, I think one of my um, one of my favourite examples of a, a patient who came to me was a lady who was 86 when she got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And normally um, when when I was training back at the start of 2010, stage four lung cancer uh, in a patient of that age would be considered a terminal diagnosis. Uh, and this lady had chemotherapy for a period of time, which she tolerated very well and it worked. But when we'd reached the point where chemotherapy was um, no longer working for her, she moved on to immunotherapy and she received a drug called nivolumab. And she was on that drug for around a year and a half. Her cancer receded and has remained at bay. And she's now 91, wow. and she has no evidence of um, no evidence of cancer of the lung yeah. anymore. And and that woman's life has been saved by that treatment and by and what, that research and by that by that research work that brought that drug to us. Mm. Um, so that's been a really um, an example that's been repeated for lung cancer specialists uh, in many different. Domains. The other type of treatment to talk about that is extending lives is targeted therapy. So, targeted therapy, what we what we didn't understand until around 2006 was that genetic problems could arise in lung cancer that we could target, and there are a number of drugs that are available uh, on the PBS uh, for known oncogene drivers. So an oncogene driver is something that breaks in the cancer, which when you effectively target it, Mm. um, you can can switch off the light of the cancer, so to speak, and you can get some really rapid responses. So all people who who practice thoracic oncology have got patients who are on these targeted therapies uh, and living fairly normal lives. So another example was a woman who came to see me who was 52, Mm. and she uh, had a, a gene fusion called an alk gene fusion which we see in about two to three percent of lung cancer and she was a never smoker. And she has been on two targeted therapies and has been under my care now for almost four years. And she has no no available disease, so there's no cancer to see on her scans. So she's a woman who's lived with stage four lung cancer now for four years, completely well and in the community and, and living a life as if nothing was wrong. Yeah. And those are really some of the examples that, that um, make being in this space so rewarding and so worthwhile.
1: And what what would have been some of the symptoms that, that started her journey. So what were some warning signs that she had?
0: So really, again, she was a never smoker, so there was no reason to think that she should get lung cancer. And she presented with um, difficulty breathing and she was found to have a fluid collection outside her lungs, so something called a pleural effusion and a cancer in, in in her lung. So advanced cancer, but low volume um and really there were no other warning signs for her so there was no way that she could have gotten to her doctor ahead of time and being diagnosed mm. any earlier i think the lesson is though that 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 by finding the genetic alteration in tumor in her tumor and giving her the right treatment she's leading uh, a normal life at the moment. And um, it's very exciting to be able to see her every two months and to scan her three or four times a year and to say that I know that there was a cancer there, but I can't see it anymore.
1: That is unbelievable. That's fantastic. And are there any things that someone can do for themselves that can perhaps help them if they've been diagnosed
0: so I think the biggest thing, I mean, again, if you're smoking tobacco, it's very important to engage with, with your specialists and your general practitioner and, and try and quit. We've got excellent data that shows that even if you're diagnosed with an advanced lung cancer, if you, if you come off cigarettes, you live longer than people who keep smoking after their diagnosis. I, I also say to people that are smoking who've been diagnosed with lung cancer that it's important to set an example for children and grandchildren and younger people people as well, uh, because young people mimic the behaviour of those that they look up to. So even if you're living with an advanced cancer, you're quitting smoking not just for yourself but someone else is really important. Once you get diagnosed with a cancer, we've got very good evidence that people who exercise, whether it's in early stage or advanced stage, do better. They tend to survive longer after they've had a cancer diagnosis and they tend to tolerate their treatments uh, better and they improve their cardiovascular health. So I'm very enthusiastic about referring my patients on for structured exercise programs with an exercise physiologist and trying to find someone uh, close close to home for them.
1: So is it that our lungs can get stronger with exercise? It, are they, I think they like general, to be exercised? I
0: think it's general fitness, you know, improving your cardiovascular fitness. Um, so we see even people that have had operations and had parts of their lungs removed um, can have very good lung function. They do get a bit breathless, but if you get them to, to exercise and you improve their muscle strength and their cardiovascular fitness, they, they, do, they do better and they can feel fairly normal.
1: And they can go and see, as you say, exercise physiologists and they can give them a a program that will keep them safe and it's exercise that they should be able to do.
0: But You're never never too old to start.
1: Exactly. So in closing, what are some sort of three takeaway messages from everything that's been said today that really we should know about lung cancer that perhaps we might not?
0: So uh, not to labour the point too much, but try and get off cigarettes if you can. I think the second point is to if you're if you're concerned it's to see your family doctor. So not everything not every symptom that you get is a cancer and we don't want people to come away from listening to this and think mm. that every ache or pain is a sign of cancer but really if you've got a a symptom that is not resolving or is going or is getting worse over time particularly things like breathlessness and coughing uh, or or coughing up blood that you do see your doctor and get assessed for look could this be lung cancer is it a heart problem uh, or w- what is what is the what is the problem that you've got and i think the third thing is is uh, not losing hope when you get diagnosed you know, or if you do happen to be diagnosed with a lung cancer, the field of lung cancer is moving so quickly. There are drugs that I'm using now that weren't even in the clinic when I started training. There are drugs that didn't even exist when I started training. So the face of of uh, uh, thoracic cancers, uh, both the people that were treating, the things that we used to treat them and, and how long and how well they're surviving is totally different to a decade ago when I started Mm. Um, i think for people who do get a diagnosis and they're saying well look i want to reach out and find out more about what's available the lung foundation of australia is a fantastic resource for anyone with uh, with a respiratory condition Mm. uh, and they've got uh, lung cancer support nurse workers who are available who you can talk with over the phone uh, if you want uh, advice I think finding a specialist that you're uh, comfortable with and that who can who can answer your questions uh, and is willing to explore treatment options for you is really important as well.
1: And I think um, by the sound of it, you can you end up having a long-term relationship with a patient, patients. So it's so important to. Um, have that good communication and relationship with your specialist yeah. and with your specialist team.
0: And I think as a cancer specialist, people who come through my door are often very frightened or very scared of what they've been told and being able to be, to be honest with them about what to expect is important, but also saying, look, there are lots of things we can do. There is always a treatment for every patient, even if it's making sure that patient has dignity and is comfortable. There are very few people that come through my door with lung cancer that I don't end up offering some sort of treatment to. Uh, And I think the, the, the range of things that specialists like me are going to be uh, offering to people as the years go on is only going to become wider. We're looking for treatments that are both more effective at treating the cancer, but also less burdensome for our patients.
1: Wonderful. That's so hopeful. So thank you so much for speaking with us today about lung cancer. Thank you, Danae. A big thank you to Dr Clay for sharing his knowledge with us today on Meditalk. And to learn more about Dr Clay, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of MediTalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.